And um, the earliest, you know, this is something that has, has continued here at Heritage as we're uh, over a four years old as a church. But in the earliest days of our church, and as we continue to have to experience uh, through these four years, you know, we're a nomadic church. This is language I've used before, meaning that we have to move. We have to, we have to be flexible in some of our and some of our scheduling and our activities. And one of the earliest times that we ever had to be super flexible was when we were uh, trying to implement Wednesday nights. And some of you will remember this. Wednesday nights. We can't come here on Wednesday nights. Uh, the school is used, obviously, through the week, and it wasn't an option for us. So we had to become creative with our Wednesday nights before, uh, before the hotel in particular. And one of the... One of the uh, very first Wednesdays that we ever had as a church was at our property uh, right across the way over here. And we had, um, we had a fellowship night, but it was really a kickball game. Okay? And that was the night. That was it. The Wednesday night was kickball. And uh, there's some stories that come out of this. You can ask Jeff Bingham about that later. Um, but we had a kickball night. And I remember um, having a couple of conversations after this particular Wednesday night. We're a young church, we're nomadic at, at, at that, and so we had a Wednesday night where we just played kickball together as a young uh, church, and there was a couple of conversations that came out of that, and those conversations in general were, were asking, how can you have church and just play kickball? I said, well, we had nothing else to do, <laughs> right? This is kind of the genesis of it, right? And the premise of the conversations were, well, that's not right. You can't do it that way. And one of the things that I've really appreciated about this community is, is our flexibility that we have to be creative at times and doing things a little bit different. And I would argue, and I still will argue, that a Wednesday night where we just play kickball and do nothing else is incredibly productive as a community, right? There is a value in being together because the more we are together, I'm not talking about content or programming, I'm talking about just the idea of being together. The more we are able to be together, the more we have opportunity to build relationships and friendships about some of those circles we've talked about recently. We have opportunity to experience the same things or to experience the same moments together. Shared experiences are incredibly important, right? What we tend to do is, is we tend to say, well, these things have to look this way, and we begin to categorize or we begin to box in particular things, for instance, Wednesday nights. Most of us who have grown up in church real, have, have experienced Wednesday nights in a particular way right? Classes, maybe a little devotional, but we have all these kind of ideas because we have these experiences in these particular ways, but who's to say that there's no value in just being together and playing kickball? Now, the reason I bring this up is I want us to use this kind of this, this framework for a moment into this conversation of prayer. Because prayer, very much like our kids' message pointed out this morning, Prayer comes in all different kinds of forms. And prayer has very... This is, this is Travis talking for a moment. I think prayer has very little to do with content 
and everything to do with hope in the moment. And what I mean by that is, is you do not have to program for the hope. You have to have the intention of, of being there and seeing what comes out of it. Being together is a primary uh, desire of this church family. And that looks different from gathering to gathering. We've anchored ourselves in some particular things like this time together each and every week. But we've also gathered, we've also gathered in smaller groups. We've also gathered uh, at playing kickball. We've also gathered in service. We've gathered in worship. And we've gathered in many different aspects. But what is the overlying intention? Being together. There's value in togetherness. And if we play that out a little bit more into this conversation of prayer, we begin to see that prayer is not so much about what the program or the focus or the, or the conversation or whatever it is about. It's about the desire of being in the presence of God. And the content will change and shift. It'll change and shift based on what's going on in our life or what our intention or our hope is of coming out of a time of prayer. And so it's not so much that we have to have prayers a certain way at a certain time in certain settings. It's about the desire and the hope of being in the presence of God and seeing what comes out of that. Sometimes it's kickball and sometimes it's worship. Sometimes it's communion. Sometimes it's service. Sometimes it's just coffee at a coffee shop. That these settings, these opportunities, are the underlying basis for being in the moment where God can meet us. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is where we can take a moment to allow God to be with us where we're at in the moment. Um, let's think of it this way. Uh, Josh, go to this next slide. Many of you have been through a drive through like this. Right? It's like, uh, it's like I want to do what Brandon did with the kids. How many of you have ever had a sandwich, right? And everyone's hand goes up. Like, how many of you have been through a drive-thru and all your hands are going to go up, right? We know this concept. drive throughs are everywhere because they are convenient, right? And drive throughs have grown in the last several years, and particularly this century. Why? Because we've become busier. We've become, uh, we've become people who, who move, 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 next to the next thing. I often find myself in the middle of my day uh, realizing it's like 1 o'clock or 1.30 in the afternoon and you know, hunger hits finally or you, kind of, you finally realize that you're hungry. You're like, I haven't eaten lunch because I've been doing this. I'm taking whatever it is going on. And so you know what I will often do in those kinds of moments? drive through. Why? It's fast, very little wait time, right? And I can do it while I'm still doing other things. So it's a complete convenience. If, if we live in an era, um, it, we live in the drive through era. Because this is dinner, this is lunch, this is us getting things done, we think, right? And drive throughs have very little preparation and they have very little foresight. 
It's about, I got to take care of this right now and I got other things to take care of. It's something that you do while you're doing something else, typically. They're there to get yourself moving and keep going on and on and on. And I'm wondering how often we treat our prayer lives like a drive-thru. Where we go up, we see the menu. God, I'd like the number two with a side of grace. God, make sure you exercise. <laughs> give, me a, give me an XL on that one. Right? We think, we think prayers is something that we can throw out there or get done in the midst of, right? I talked a little bit about this last week, that prayer is kind of done in these certain moments, dinner, bedtime, right? Church. And so we treat it like a drive through like it's nothing more than an obligation of the moment or the time. And so what we begin to do is we stop preparing, we stop forecasting or preparing, you know, thinking about what prayer can mean and be for us at any particular day, and we just throw it in. Okay. I'm going to take care of it here. Oh, I haven't prayed today. I better get that done before my eyes shut, right? Am I, am I the only one who's ever experienced that moment in the day? Oh, We treat it like a drive-through. And when we begin to treat prayer as something that just needs to be done or something we got to throw in in the midst of everything else, we truly do begin to devalue the purpose and the depth that prayer is in our lives. It's just an activity then. It's not what prayer is intended to be. And our diet of prayer should be a whole lot healthier than the Big Mac that we get through the drive-thru window. Prayer is meant to take time. Okay? Now, hear me for a second. It's not just your toes that are being stepped on right now. Prayer is meant to take time. That precious time and all those things that you have going on, and you're already thinking about Monday. And you're thinking about, oh, i got to take care of this on Thursday. Oh, next weekend we got to do this. I know your schedule is incredibly packed full of so many things. And then the preacher gets up and goes, hey, you need to create more time. It's incredibly important. Because if prayer is nothing more than a drive-through, or if we think prayer has to be done in certain particular ways, then we leave no space for the Holy Spirit of God to be present before us where things and, and the movements of life can really change before us. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Colossians, of all places. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, that's the kind of verse that you like. It's a bumper story. Reminder, you probably put it in the background of your phone. Devote yourselves to prayer. But listen to what Paul is really saying here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He's telling the church, you're not just going to pray. You are going to give everything that you have to be a prayer. Because devotion means that you're not only going to plan for it, you're going to execute it. You're going to work at it. 
You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna come out of one prayer time and go, oh, I could have done this better because I'm so devoted. I'm so, I'm so focused on that prayer time. And Paul is saying, church, you need to be people who are devoted and focused on how you pray and when you pray and how that looks in your life. Now, this isn't out of context. In fact, I think what Paul is doing here is he's giving actual practical advice to the church of what it means and looks like to be someone who lives life because Jesus is involved in your life. Colossians is a wonderful book that's all about reminding us that Jesus has changed everything for us. And when Jesus is involved in your life, things do not function the way they used to. And Colossians gives a lot of grace in this. Colossians understands that when Jesus shows up, things move differently. And because of that, the grace is, is you're trying to figure it out. So texts like uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, when Paul says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though do you still belong to it? Do you submit to its rules? What's Paul saying? Jesus has shown up, so why are you still living like Jesus doesn't matter? He goes on to say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have died, you have now been raised with Christ, so set your hearts on things above, or Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then what comes a few verses later? Devote yourselves to prayer. Since you have died and since you have been raised, you now live differently. And one of those difference markers for Christians is being fully devoted to prayer. Prayer seems to be a very big deal in how we can live differently when Jesus is involved in our life. Where Jesus is no longer just an element of who we are, He is everything of who we are. Devote yourselves to prayer, the apostle says. I think this is practical advice. You've, been di you've died and you've been raised, and how you can live this out in your life is to be a, be a person who is devoted to prayer. I love this quote from a gentleman named William Penn. Time is what we want the most of, but we use the worst. Does anybody else identify with this? Time is what we want the most of, but we use the worst. And so maybe a small reframing when you hear someone like me say, prayer is meant to take time. Prayer is time-consuming. Prayer requires time out of your day is not so much, oh, i got to add it into the midst of everything else. Perhaps our view now becomes, perhaps I need to move away from the things that do not matter and devote myself to the one thing that seems to truly matter in my spiritual walk. Being in the presence of God Himself. Prayer. It's not a drive-through that we just shout our order at and get mad when he gets it wrong. Prayer is getting out of the car, going to sit down, 
thinking about, preparing, and having conversation with the one that you went to be there with in the first place. And that gets us over to Matthew chapter 6. Last week we looked at Luke chapter 11. This morning I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 6 in brief. And in these two particular passages of Scripture, in Luke 11 and Matthew chapter 6, these are Jesus' intentional teaching of prayer itself. Now I'm going to bring these two teachings together um, probably next week most likely, but this week I want to focus in for just a moment on Matthew chapter 6. Again, uh, this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. and It's in the midst of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So in the larger context of what Jesus is ultimately saying, this is, his, this is his second example of spiritual discipline in his sermon. He went over giving, he does prayer, and right after prayer he talks about fasting. And I'm honing in on the prayer aspect for just a moment, but Jesus is talking about prayer being a spiritual discipline in the, in, in the kingdom of God. And so he has this to say, and I want to pull out a couple of truths a couple of things we can hone in on here this morning. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, picking, picking up in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's stop there for a moment. I will get us to this to the actual uh, words of uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer. But let's take a moment to notice a couple of things here. Uh, that prayer is meant to take time, and I think that shows in Jesus' teaching here. Jesus is ultimately contrasting two types of prayers. And now, when Jesus uses language like hypocrites, that's pretty strong language. And Jesus is being pretty intense with that language, I think. Because he's calling out the so-called church leaders, right? The Jewish faith leaders of the day. He's not calling them anything nice. He's being pretty intense with it. But he says, you have hypocrites. This is one type of prayer. Their prayer life is, is solely built around making sure you know I pray. And in fact, what you would ultimately have is you would have these, these faith leaders who would build their, their schedule around. They go, okay, I need to make sure I'm around this street corner or this area of town at this time because when it's prayer time, I have to stop and I have to pray, but everybody will see me. This is the first type of prayer. It's something to do. It's a, it's a check mark on the check, in the checkbox of getting things done as a faith leader. It's just something you do as part of your day, and we got to take care of it. We're going to drive through our prayer life. That's the hypocrite. And he contrasts the hypocrite of the prayer, of, of praying, to the other person who has no desire to be seen by anyone else, but actually goes into the inner room of their house, goes into their bedroom, closes the door behind them. There's nothing else there. There's no one else there. 
No one can see what is going on behind closed door except for the Father who sees the unseen, who sees what is done in secret. And that contrast of the hypocrite and the, and the alone person, the two types of prayers, ultimately leads to how God views and sees the value of your prayers. It is the inner uh, discipline. It's the inner motivation that contrasts this. Because one is about making sure you see, the other is making sure he sees. One is about making sure I get to fellowship with you. The other is about making sure I get to fellowship with him. Prayer's meant to take time with the Father. Someone once thought it'd be a really good idea to give every person $1,440 every single day. You can spend it any way you need or want. You would have the same amount at the end of the day. You'd have to get rid of whatever you have left over. Seems like a really good deal right now. Not allowed to carry it over. And in many ways, that's what we have. We have 1,440 minutes in every day. You don't get to carry that over into the next day. I don't get to bank roll the minutes into Saturday or Sunday or Monday or whatever it is. It cannot be carried over. And just as often as we see our dollars as precious, we ought to see our time with God much more valuable and far more precious. How we spend our time and how we are intentional with our time says a whole lot, not only to myself about my spiritual walk and my relationship with God, but it says a whole lot about how God means to me in my life. I'm not here. I'm not here to judge or to give, give guilt on how your prayer life is going. I told you this last week. My goal is not to give you some super practical advice on how to make your prayer life that much better. I, my goal is for us as a church to raise our temperature and awareness of our prayer life. And if we're not making time, if you were not making time, if I am not making time to be in the presence of God, then we're treating prayer as nothing more as something to get done, to be seen by others. Jesus would say, and he would say it pretty bluntly, and I think with a little bit of force, he would say, you're being nothing more than a hypocrite. Now that one stings for me. Prayer is meant to take time. And if our first reaction is, I don't have the time, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that, then what we're saying to ourselves and what you're saying to yourself, you're not saying to me, you're not saying to your eldership, you're not saying to your church, you're saying to yourself, ah, God, I got better things to do. Quickly. Prayer is meant to take time because it is an opportunity to be with God. Prayer is meant to take time because it is an opportunity to be with God. Jesus doesn't seem to, to view praying as an obligation. He doesn't practice that. He doesn't view it or practice that it's something to get done. I think Jesus views and practices prayer in his ministry life as an opportunity 
The praying pattern that's, that's very much established in the Gospel of Luke is a Jesus, is a, is a Messiah who desires to be with God. He leads crowds to be with God. He gets up early to be with God. He stays up all night with the sole intention of being with God. Not because he feels like it's an obligation, because he wants the opportunity to be in the presence of his Father. Um, I, I've got, I, I went through Luke, and I, I, tried to, I tried to confirm this with smarter people than me, but I've got 21 direct examples of teachings of prayer, examples or teachings of prayer in the Gospel of Luke alone. Luke wants you to know prayer is a big deal to Jesus, and what I think one of the main aspects we get out of this, when you start paying attention to it, is that Jesus sees it as opportunity to be with God. Such a desire to be back or in the presence of his Father. And secondly, if prayer is meant to take time, it's because it's an opportunity to listen to God. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is not an order or a, a demand. He's not a customer service representative or a drive-through speaker to complain to. It is an opportunity not to say, not to simply say what you want to say, which we ought to say those things. It is opportunity to pause and to listen. And if you're thinking here, well, how do you listen when God's not physically present before us? Then you go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when Jesus says, go into the inner room and close the door and be alone, you know what he's saying, I think? He doesn't use the word, but you know what he's saying? He says, you're alone to listen. To be still and quiet. Because there, the Spirit prompts feelings, emotions. The Spirit can prompt thoughts within us. And when we pay attention to those moments that we take time to be in the presence of God, God begins to speak into our lives. Thirdly, prayer is meant to take time because it's an opportunity to seek God. It is an opportunity to seek God. Matthew chapter 6, continuing in verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Jesus gives us a model of wording of how we come to the Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, as, all, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in closing, I want to make one quick observation about the wording to which Jesus gives in his teaching of prayer. I understand there's a lot going on here can't hit it all in the moment. First, well, I guess the only ending point here is that prayer that takes time impacts all of our time. Prayer that takes time impacts 
all of our time. Prayer that we come to the Father who's hallowed before us, who is holy before us. The Father that we come and we pay attention to His kingdom and that we're asking for His will to be done. The Father that we recognize that our daily bread comes from Him directly and the God who forgives and calls us to forgive. The God who doesn't lead us into temptation, but the God who's delivering us from those moments of temptation. That God, that God impacts all the other minutes that we have in the day all the other moments that we have his kingdom now becomes squarely at the center of who we are as christians he becomes at the forefront of all the decisions and words that we use we don't simply turn inward we turn to the father in those moments and the father will impact he will push he will influence all other facets of our lives and I'm noticing here that Jesus' teaching requires time. He's saying, go into the room, close the door, and you speak to the Father who is holy. That takes time. He isn't giving us words just to give us words so we can say the words. He's giving us a framework to be in the presence of God because that Father who is holy before us, His kingdom will impact all the other minutes that come after this. I'm also noticing that prayer needs the time and the space to be intimate, to be close to your Father. One highlight of that. Jesus says and teaches us that we ought to pray for the forgiveness of our debts. Forgiveness of our sins would be the other word to use for debts. Right there. And I think, in many respects... It is a recognition of who we truly are. Fallen, broken, sinful people. And prayer is meant to remind us, to bring us back to the reality that we sin. That you fall short. And it is, yes, to give us a new perspective, but it's also meant to center us on the truth that our God is a forgiving God. So what I'd like to do this morning is I want to invite one of our shepherds, Jeff Bingham, this morning. And he's going to offer a word. Uh, he's going to offer a prayer of confession, of repentance. We're going to do that. We're going to begin that as a community this morning. And Jeff, I'm going to also offer the invitation right now. So at the end of Jeff's prayer this morning... Uh, Nathan will uh, we'll stand and we'll sing wherever Nathan went. There he is, okay? And we'll have, a, we'll have our invitation. Jeff, I'm going to have you stand up front. I'll go to the back this morning. It will be an opportunity for, the, for you to respond. But what, I, what I'm asking us is, is to pay attention to the time to which we have or take or need to take in for the prayer. And I'm inviting each and every one of us to take the time to know that we are before the God who forgives. When we go into that time of prayer, we ought to be people who confess, repent, understand that we are before the God who gives us deliverance. That's the prayer we seek. That's what we do when we are before him. And that cannot be accomplished by simply driving through those kinds of moments. So, Jeff, why don't you please offer us a word of prayer of repentance, and then we'll stand together and sing in this place.
Our Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we do confess our sins before you. We, we pray this prayer of repentance, Father, for those times when we're just concerned for ourselves, for our wants, our needs, and our cares. Father, we pray repenting when we turn a blind eye to the suffering of those around us. When we turn a blind eye to what you would have us to do, and when we turn a blind eye to moments where we should live as Jesus would have. Father, we, we confess this. We, we repent of these moments. Father, we pray that you'll have mercy on us according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. Blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. Father, you know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Against you and you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Father, we pray that you'll blot out all of our iniquities and create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us and restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Father, we, we pray this prayer of repentance before you this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.